Pulling up to Mickey D's just for drinks? Oh yeah, that's me. Nothing extra, just perfection and a straw. Coming in hot for the coldest cups on the block. Because there are drinks. Then there are drinks from McDonald's. Mix things up with any size lemonade or sweet tea for $1.49. Perfect with our classic fries. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. This week on Viewpoints. The average consumer has got Angry Birds and Twitter and the news on their phone. You've got to really present something that's worth taking them away from Candy Crush. The modern craft of book editing. Then... I don't have a boss. I don't have somebody standing over me saying, you know, you've got to do this first, this, 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 prioritize this, do this, do this. But the boss is the music. The balance of being a musical artist as well as your own boss. I'm Marty Peterson. And I'm Gary Price. These stories in-depth this week on your public affairs magazine, Viewpoints. You take steps to stay healthy when at the pharmacy picking up vitamins or filling a prescription. May I help you? Take another healthy step right now and ask the pharmacist how Prevnar 13 can help protect you from pneumococcal pneumonia, a potentially serious bacterial lung disease. If you're 65 or older, a trip to the pharmacy is a lot more pleasant than a trip to the hospital because of pneumococcal pneumonia. Help protect yourself with the Prevnar 13 pneumococcal 13-valent conjugate vaccine, diphtheria CRM197 protein. Prevnar 13 is approved for adults to help prevent infections from 13 strains of the bacteria that cause pneumococcal pneumonia. Prevnar 13 does not protect against all strains of the disease. Stop by the pharmacy today and ask about Prevnar 13. Learn more at Prevnar13.com. Don't get Prevnar 13 if you have had a severe allergic reaction to the vaccine or its ingredients. Adults with a weakened immune system may have a lower response to the vaccine. The most commonly reported side effect was pain at the injection site. For additional common side effects and full prescribing information, please call 1-866-694-9300 or visit Prevnar13.com. If you've ever dreamed of writing a book someday, you're not alone. Close to a million manuscripts are submitted annually to publishers, editors, and agents, and of those, about 100,000 new titles are published every year. Some books flop and grow dust on bookstore shelves and end up in the bargain bin, and some become bestsellers, which is every publisher's and author's dream. But just what does it take to get a book from the author's mind into the reader's hands? And how does it become a success? As an editor, it feels like everybody that you talk to is writing a book or wants to write a book or thinks they could write a book. So those people are curious from the perspective of a potential author about how their book might find its way into print and into the hands of readers. But I've already found, just from talking to many, many authors about this, and this is, I think, a problem for publishers. It's something they don't do as well as they should. Publishing is sort of a black box to authors. Even people who have been published don't really understand what happens once they hand their work over to the editor or to their agent. And I hope that this will explain to people who are being published by traditional publishers or people who are starting to think about publishing themselves or people who are beginning to think about, I want to be an author, or as you say, an English major who's got an idea of, I'd like to write something. Here's how the sausage is made. That's Peter Ganay, editor and author of the new book, What Editors Do, The Art, Craft, and Business of Book Editing. 
He says that if you were able to peek into the windows of a major publishing house, one thing you wouldn't see would be editors poring over manuscripts with a pencil. That work tends to get done when they get home at night or on their weekends, or maybe they sort of take out their iPad and read something on the bus on the way home. But you'd see people in a marketing meeting talking about how we're going to get attention for this first novel. An editorial assistant sorting through a pile of photographs, trying to figure out which ones are going to go in the photo insert of a book, or calling up people and trying to get permission to use those photographs. You'd almost certainly somewhere in a publishing house see an editor buttonholing a colleague in the hallway and saying, I just got this wonderful manuscript we've been waiting for for a year, and the author just delivered it, and it's everything we expected, and you've got to read it tonight. Ganey says book editing is one of the few careers that is still learned through apprenticeship. When you start out in the business, you usually begin as an editorial assistant, kind of the bottom of the totem pole, and you learn about editing from working with editors. There's almost no publishing house that has a training program for people who are starting out. There are some universities and colleges that have courses in publishing, and that's been a, a bit of a growing phenomenon. But most people who get into publishing have to kind of learn it on the job. If you've ever read author acknowledgments, you'll know the author almost always thanks his or her editor, often saying something like, this book wouldn't be half as good without so-and-so's help. But how much help? How many words on the page come from the author and how many from the editor? The philosophy of book editing, which is different often from editing in newspapers or magazines, for example, is really that the book belongs to the author. And even when you're sort of deeply involved in something as an editor, and authors are usually very generous about crediting what their editors have done, it's always your goal to make the book the best version of the author's conception of it that it can be, not to impose your taste or your ideas on the author. So even if you're editing a book you know, and marking up every paragraph in some way, which is not at all uncommon, you still are doing it in the service of the author's idea, the author's expression. Even authors of great classics written by the likes of Faulkner, Hemingway, and Wolfe had editors. There was actually a movie called Genius that came out about F. Scott Fitzgerald, uh, Thomas Wolfe, and their editor, one of the great editors of all time, Maxwell Perkins, who worked at Scribner's. Perkins kind of famously literally took a manuscript that was about the size of a refrigerator from Thomas Wolfe and shaped it into a best-selling and classic book. But not every author needs that heavy an edit. That being said, editing the manuscript is not the only thing a book editor does. The first thing that editors have to do, and in some ways even more important, is find books to publish and determine which books are going to get published and see those books kind of into the marketplace you have to think about the market when you're acquiring something. I've talked about this in certain forums, and authors kind of tend to jump on me and say, every book is an artistic thing, and it's not about commerce and so on. But the fact is that your job as a publisher is to put the author's wonderful, unique, artistic book in the hands of readers. If you're going to publish something effectively, when you acquire it, you have to think about who is the potential reader for this. It's not enough really to say, 
I love this book and it's wonderful and it's a unique voice or whatever, that's the first thing. That's the first threshold you want the book to get over. But then the next thing is, who is going to respond to this? One thing is clear, however. The editor has to love the book, not just think it could sell. You're asking your colleagues, what do you think about this? And somebody from marketing says, oh, we can really sell a lot of these. The books that you acquire that way, sort of cynically or with an eye to the market rather than to your own enthusiasm, are always the ones that are the worst publishing experiences because it's just you have to invest so much of your own time and energy in any publication as an editor, and that's true for other people along the publishing chain, that if you don't love the book, it just becomes a drudgery. And the flip side of that is when you really are excited about something, it's easy. I mean, it's never easy because there's so much work that goes involved that goes into publishing anything. But we've all had the feeling of we read this book. It was so great. We can't wait to tell somebody else about it. We know just the person who is a friend of ours who's going to love this book. You want to tell them about it. And that's really kind of what editors do just on a larger scale. Ganesh says literary agents are a vital component of the publishing industry. The agents are the people who filter out the giant tsunami of manuscripts before the publishers have to do the filtering. I mean, they're the pre-filter. The first role of a good agent is, as an editor, when an agent sends you something, you know that they've screened out a hundred other things to send you this one book proposal or manuscript. And by the way, you're going to turn down things from 99 agents to acquire one book that you're excited about. I'm maybe exaggerating the numbers there, but probably not all that much. Which is why so many authors these days decide to self-publish. The number of books that are being published has exponentially grown in the last several years, thanks to particularly ebooks and also Amazon and other online sellers that have made it so much easier to publish your own works. There's a huge explosion in self-publishing the increasing technological things that made self-publishing so easy for a while led to arguments the publisher is going to be extinct. Who needs Random House or Scribner's when you can just put the book out there yourself with a few clicks? But one of the downsides to it from the author's point of view and from the commercial publisher's point of view is it just floods titles onto the market. So it makes the problem of finding something good to read, all the more challenging for a reader. Ganey says editors provide a valuable service to readers when there's so much competition out there. The marketplace is so crowded. There are so many books competing for people's attention. I mean, you know that there's hundreds, literally hundreds of thousands of titles are published every year. How do you get one book to stand out? The selection part that editors do of plucking something out of the stream of titles and manuscripts and saying, this book is really worth your attention, here's why. That's a more valuable function than ever for readers and for sort of culture in general. The average consumer has got Angry Birds and Twitter and the news at the end of their fingertips on their phone. You've got to really present something that's worth taking them away from Candy Crush to make it successful. At the end of the day, there's nothing quite like a terrific book that pulls you in and keeps you hooked until the very last page. Without critical editors working alongside authors pushing the script along, these great reads would be few and far between. Who knows? With a creative idea, a smart editor, and some luck, Maybe your manuscript will become the next New York Times bestseller. 
You can learn more about the vital role editors play in Peter Ganay's book, What Editors Do, The Art, Craft, and Business of Book Editing. For more information about all of our guests and past archives of programs, log on to our site at viewpointsradio.org. To see more behind the scenes, search Viewpoints Radio on Twitter and Facebook. This segment was written by Polly Henson and originally aired in April 2019. Our executive producer is Amira Zaveri. I'm Gary Price. Coming up, the demands of being an independent musician when Viewpoints returns. Cardiovascular, or CV, disease is the number one killer of adults in the U.S., and millions of people trying to reduce their risk of a heart attack or stroke may unknowingly be taking medications that are not proven, nor FDA-approved to reduce cardiovascular risk. Let's hear from cardiologist Dr. John Osborne. Many people are unaware that after a failed outcome study, the FDA revoked the approval of phenofibrates when added to statins, as the risk outweighed the benefits to heart health. It's important to remember that statins, along with diet and exercise, can lower cardiovascular risk by about 25 to 35%, but persistent cardiovascular risk, which can lead to a life-threatening event, may remain. I would tell anyone still being prescribed phenofibrates, such as Tricor and Trilipics, with a statin to talk to their doctor about FDA-approved therapies for cardiovascular risk reduction. To learn more and get clear on the facts, visit itscleartomenow.com again. That's it's clear to me now.com. For the ones who know that a little late is always too late. And that the clock doesn't stop just because you're missing a part. Granger offers supplies and solutions for every industry. And our keep stock inventory management solutions help ensure you have the right stuff in the right place at exactly the right time. Visit Granger.com slash keepstock to learn more. Granger. For the ones who get it done. Progressive presents an interview with your upstairs neighbor. My name's Barry. I live right above you. I don't host parties. I host after parties. They're like parties, only louder and nobody goes home. You can see right here I ripped out all the carpeting because it was holding me back my pogo stick. Man's got a pogo. Oh, I'm a prankster. I'll grease up a soda can and then when somebody grabs it, boom! <laughs> Progressive can't save you from your upstairs neighbor, but we can save you money when you bundle renters and auto insurance with us. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company affiliates and other insurers. Bundle discount not available in all states or situations. When most people imagine the life of a musician, we think of glamour, fame, and a career that's far removed from the typical routines of a 9-to-5 job. But looking past this perception, the reality of daily life for many independent artists is spending hours juggling various roles beyond just practice and performance. The administrative stuff is running just about 15 to 20 hours a week pretty consistently. And sometimes it runs even up to 40 hours a week if there are a lot of grants that are coming up, grant deadlines or grant final reports. That's Deborah Silvert, the flutist of the contemporary classical ensemble Duo Sequenza, based out of northwest Indiana. Silvert is also the executive director of Sequenza Chamber Music Incorporated, a nonprofit arts organization created to support the mission of the group. Duo Sequenza is made up of Silvert and classical guitarist Paul Bowman. The two musicians joined forces in 2015 after a long hiatus, but have faced an upward battle to find funding. 
The popularity of classical music in general has been on a steady decline in recent decades as its cultural relevancy and visibility wanes amongst younger generations. When we came back together as a duo in 2015, I had no idea that we were going to have to form a nonprofit. And what happened was that the climate for classical music changed dramatically. A lot of the presenters that we had relied on to book us for concerts in the past had simply folded. They didn't exist anymore. So we saw, oh my goodness, there's no, you know, we're going to really, really have to promote very heavily. We can't just rely on the presenters just to simply find us and book us. We have to really promote, which of course takes more money. And the revenue streams are very, very small. Even for the recordings, you would think, you know, with as expensive it is to produce a classical recording, that you would get some significant sum of money coming back in. And that's just not true. So if there's no nonprofit in place, I think it makes it harder to fundraise. And what I've learned is that as the executive director of SCMI, that's my main job is raising money so that we can put the music out there. Each week, Silvert spends her days writing grants, working on fundraising campaigns, and garnering publicity through networking in the community and on social media. She says that many artists from her generation never received formal training on how to succeed in the business of music. Most of us are pretty introverted, and it's very hard to do the networking piece in the business community And that's an essential piece of entrepreneurship. And it's difficult for me to do that because I may appear to be an extrovert, but really I'm not that comfortable. I go to these business networking things and I watch the people work the room. I can watch these business types. They go from person to person. They put their hand out. They, you know, they shake hands and they give their 30 second elevator pitch, you know, about what their business is and what they do. And oh, I find that so incredibly difficult. Despite the challenges of fundraising, Silvert pushes ahead because she believes in the preservation of classical music and the unique sound of small ensembles like Duo Sequenza. Silvert says that these funding difficulties are often overlooked due to the misconception that musical nonprofits are heavily supported by government grants. They see the big numbers. Oh, the National Endowment for the Arts got all this millions and millions of dollars. But when it comes to, you know, individual ensembles and individual artists, it's a very, very, very small amount of money. Most of the grants require one-to-one matches. And even that is most times only marginally sort of funds a project. In an average year, Silvert says that around 20% of funding comes from grants, while the other 80% must be gathered from private donors. This can mean individual donations, as well as corporate sponsorships from local businesses. And the funding cycle never stops. It takes a lot of time and effort to generate enough money each year. And when paired with the artistic demands of being a musician, it can be an overwhelming role. My day is very different than my guitarist partner's day because of my administrative duties for the duo. Generally, I need to practice three hours a day, six days a week, just to maintain myself as a flutist. In other words, to be, you know, to be sure that my tools are sharp and everything is in order as it should be so that when I get down to learning new music or polishing pieces or what we would call woodshedding the hard stuff, I'm not gonna hurt myself or make horrible mistakes that are gonna impact the music later on in a negative way. There really are 
so many moving parts, especially in terms of projects. We have so very many different projects, and each one, of course, has its own budget. It has its own, you know, task list, its own, you know, what to do artistically, what to do fundraising-wise, what to do publicity and marketing-wise. And, yeah, it gets to be a bit daunting when things pile up one project on top of another. Currently, Silvered and Bowman are working to finish their second album as a chamber ensemble duo. They also perform in many different settings that people typically wouldn't think of for classical music. We take real literature for flute and classical guitar that sort of has a theme, and we group pieces of similar theme together for a short program. It's usually 30 minutes of music at the most. And we take it out into a venue, a non-traditional venue that would match the theme. So, in other words, we do a chamber music on tap, which we take to the microbreweries where we have some Irish pub music and we have, you know, a piece by a contemporary composer called The Drunken Friar. And people are usually just really surprised. They don't know exactly what to expect, but we give them something they didn't expect in a really good way. They really like it. In the end, the ups and downs of being a musician and entrepreneur are worth it when the duo receives this kind of feedback from fans. Despite the hardships of working within classical music, Silvert still recommends this career path to young people if they're passionate about their craft. For me, there's nothing that could possibly be any more satisfying. No matter how difficult it is, there's just nothing else for me that would be more rewarding or more satisfying than being able to make music and give that to listeners. Now, I think things would have been much easier for Paul and I at this point in our lives had we not taken the 21 years away from concertizing, but that was life. It happened. He was in Europe. I was here in the States. I was raising four kids and a few of them with special needs, and it was just the way it was. So I think that for young people going in, eyes wide open, I think now a lot of the conservatories and music schools, they have arts administration programs. They have recognized that the entrepreneurship piece is vital, and You've got to have that going on, too. You cannot just be a musician and practice and hope for the best. Music is a competitive and challenging field, but one that's equally rewarding. To support the musical work of Deborah Silvert, Paul Bowman, and Duo Sequenza, visit duosequenza.com. That's D-U-O-S-E-Q-U-E-N-Z-A.com. For more resources and to find archives of past shows, go to viewpointsradio.org. This segment was written and produced by Amira Zaveri. Studio production by Jason Dickey. I'm Marty Peterson. Viewpoints returns in just a moment. What are you going to do with your old car? You can try selling it, you could junk it, or you can donate it to Heritage for the Blind. Your car will be towed away for free and your donation is tax deductible. Just call 1-800-835-1478. Heritage for the Blind accepts cars, vans, trucks, and boats. It doesn't matter if your vehicle runs or not. It will be towed away for free and you'll be supporting those that need help. Heritage for the Blind is a nonprofit organization that helps the visually impaired live fuller lives. 
Call right now to donate your car. And as a special thank you, you'll receive a free three-day vacation voucher to over 50 locations. Call Heritage for the Blind right now. Call 1-800-835-1478. Donating is easy and your vehicle is towed away for free. Plus, you'll get a free vacation voucher for donating. Call now, 1-800-835-1478. That's 1-800-835-1478. Welcome to Culture Crash, where we examine what's new and old in entertainment. When Apple launched its TV Plus service in 2019, there were reports that CEO Tim Cook was internally pushing for, quote, aspirational TV, as opposed to, I assume, a lot of the darker TV of the previous decade or so, which had seen shows like Breaking Bad, Narcos, and Ozark climb their way to the top of Twitter trends and Emmy categories with a lot of violent crime revolving around drugs. So, the network leaned into shows like For All Mankind, which imagines a more invigorated space race, and into partnerships with people like Nobel Peace Prize winner Malala Yousafzai. But to my mind, nothing has more successfully lived up to Cook's ideal of so-called aspirational TV than the popular sports comedy Ted Lasso. Ted Lasso follows the story of an American football coach who takes a gig as a soccer manager in England, despite the fact that he knows little to nothing about the sport. Unlike the anti-heroes of decades past, though, Ted Lasso isn't driven by a need for acclaim or wealth. He's driven by a can-do attitude and an undying love for his family. While backstabbing does happen in Lasso land, it's always a gut punch to audiences, and not something for them to quietly revel in, like it may be for some darker shows. Ted Lasso the character, played by Jason Sudeikis, is relentlessly positive and full of eye-roll-inducing puns, and the show adopts his demeanor. It might be annoying if it weren't written, cast, and acted so pitch-perfect. You just can't help but like Ted wish him the best, and stand alongside him as he builds those around him up instead of tearing them down. Now, don't get me wrong, I like crime dramas as much as anyone, and Breaking Bad is my favorite show of all time. Still, there is something undeniably refreshing about watching Ted Lasso. The show's very bingeable first season is now streaming, and its second season is underway with new episodes airing every Friday on Apple TV+. I'm Evan Rook. For the ones standing guard. For the eagle-eyed. For the knights in shining armor. And for all those who support them. We are Granger. Your experienced safety partner, offering supplies and solutions for every industry, committed to helping keep your facilities safe and your people safer. Call clickgranger.com/safety or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. Want to hear something amazing? Discover matches all the cash back you earn on your credit card at the end of your first year automatically, dollar for dollar, with no limit on how much you can earn. Extra cash? Come on, how amazing is that? 
In fact, it's even more amazing when you realize all the places where Discover is accepted. 99% of places in the U.S. that take credit cards. So when it comes to Discover, get used to hearing yes more often. Learn more at discover.com slash yes. 2021 Nielsen Report. Limitations apply. And that's Viewpoints for this week. Viewpoints is a production of MediaTracks Communications. Follow us on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram to learn more about upcoming shows. And find a library of past programs on Apple Podcasts, Google Play, and Spotify. Plus, you'll always find previous segments and more information about our guests at viewpointsradio.org. Join us again next week for another edition of Viewpoints. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich, but you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun? Yeah, you get it every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba.